0: You're listening to the Real Estate Runway podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, a recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. I'm excited to welcome Evan Holiday with Holiday Ventures to the show. Evan is a developer of tax credit multifamily properties in the Southeast. And I'm really excited for you to hear the strategy with which he deploys the idea of impact and income at the same time. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Sutton. Welcome back to the show. Here with me today is a great friend of ours, Evan Holiday with Holiday Ventures. Evan is a real estate developer and investor with over 225 million and 1,347 units of multifamily real estate developed and invested. Evan is the founder and CEO at Holiday Ventures, where their team specializes in creating and investing in workforce, affordable and mixed income communities. Their mission is to create quality housing opportunities and empower residents to realize their full potential. In addition to that, Evan is also the host of the iTunes Top 200 Business and Real Estate Podcast, Monumental, where he sits down with top leaders and entrepreneurs making massive change in the world. Super excited for this interview today. Evan, welcome to the show, buddy. Chad, thank you for having me, man. Glad to be here. Man, it feels like the last time I saw you was pre-COVID, back when we were still doing live meetups, you know, we were (laughs) trading those around a lot. So Evan, you know, that was a fantastic bio we just went through. Tell us a little bit about yourself because you were such an amazing individual. You have the biggest heart, you know, impact and investing is really your thing. How did you get to the point where you started developing multifamily properties? What's what's the background there?
1: Yeah. So I think like with any story, it, it starts with kind of a turning point. For me, that turning point was in college. I actually, I was going down this route of not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I ended up finding real estate just kind of happenstance. I saw a big development going in on campus. I was like, man, I got to be a part of that. I don't know what it is, but, you know, it's pulling me in. It's, it's attracting me. And the energy from that was attracting me. And really, for me, it was that turning point. I was like, you know what? That development looks amazing. Like something about that, the idea, the vision, the energy behind it all. That's what really attracted me to it. And so I was naive and I was like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to this developer and I'm going to I'm going to figure out a way to work for him or add value to him. And one thing led to another, found a mutual connection, got introduced. And the developer's like, you know what? I'm not just going to hire you like you got to impress me. So we ended up bringing a few hundred people out to his groundbreaking and after that I was the first one he hired and really got to learn, you know, that that was such an eye-opening experience for me because working for somebody who does it, you can literally just take quantum leaps forward in your progress of understanding what is actually going on and how it's actually done, you know, how the cooks actually cook in the kitchen. Yeah, um, how the that,
0: sausage is made, right? How the <laughs>
1: sausage is made exactly. That that was the best experience. <laughs> I was like 19 years old at the time and wow. I got to work, you know, I wasn't working directly with the developer, but a lot of decisions he made, he consulted with me to get kind of a student's opinion. And that was really, really unique experience. So that kind of opened my eyes to it. And I was on the property management side. I was like, all right, this is a great experience, but I don't want to be doing property management. I want to do what he's doing. That <laughs> seems like a lot more fun and a lot, a lot more exciting to me. And so that just kind of led me down a rabbit hole. And one thing led to another and Next thing I know, I'm in an entrepreneurship class and we're starting a modular development company. And so there was five of us and we set out to figure out how to make modular housing out of basically houseboat manufacturing plants in Kentucky. And so we were trying to put people back to work while also creating safe and decent affordable housing. And we, we figured out about these designs that students were already making. So we got the rights to the plans. And then we figured out, we're like, hey, well, let's not just Build high end luxury housing like everybody else, like every other developer. Let's actually try to do some good out of this. You know, we can make money for ourselves, we can make money for our investors, and we can do good for the residents and the communities. And that led down another rabbit hole. I was like, it's like, oh my gosh, there's this whole world of affordable housing and public private partnerships and, you know, all this world around affordable housing. And that's what got me excited. I was like, whoa, I can have real positive impact in what I'm doing, and I can be in real estate development, like combining two passions of mine. I think I'd always wanted to help people. I think I got that from my parents. They really taught me to love and take care of others around me. And so combining that with my love of real estate and my love of just building things, I think, you know, I found my sweet spot. So I was fortunate I found that at a young age Mm -hmm. and I just dove head in and I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. I was very naive, but I just kept taking action. One thing led to another. I worked for the number one affordable developer in the country for six years Learned a whole lot there, gained a massive, amazing experience working for the best of the best in the country, and then broke off and said, you know what, I I think I can do this better. I can do this my way, and I have a clear vision for that. And so, you know, just building momentum around that now, and we've been able to work on some really incredible projects, really around empowering our residents. Not just building the affordable housing, but actually giving our residents the tools uh, as far as financial literacy, health and wellness, mindset, wow. confidence, really trying to be proactive and intentional about that. And that's been a really exciting part of building Holiday Ventures and also, you know, utilizing Monumental, like you mentioned, utilizing Monumental as a tool to, you know, learn myself help others in our audience learn and be able to connect and grow a network all over the country that are all impact driven leaders. So it's, you know, it didn't all happen at once. And it's kind of naively taking one step after the other. But, you know, if you turn around and look back, you're like, wow, all those steps actually added up to something.
0: So that's where we are now. Man, Evan, you said so many things there that there's just so much to unpack. That is fantastic. I, so first and foremost, I love what you were talking about with impact over income or impact and income, right? It, it's yeah. There are so many ways to make money, and there are so many ways to, to do do good, right? But. Why not find a way to do good while doing well? You know exactly, and that's that's one of our Quattro pillars as well. It's, it's funny how how similar I think Holiday Ventures and Quattro Capital are. We have different different product lines, different missions, but you know that's exactly it. Finding a way to really you know take care of those who need a helping hand, not a handout, but a hand up, right? Yep. So that is all fantastic. You mentioned that you you got involved with this top of the line developer, you know, affordable housing developer in the country. Before that, you were trying to put people back to work with your modular housing. What time frame was that? Was that uh the last I was crash? like
1: yeah, that was two thousand eleven to thirteen. Okay. Uh, kind of my sophomore through senior year of college. Great and time then to be outside of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we, you know, we're fortunate that it was kind of the the upswing action was happening. People were starting to invest again, but there yeah. was still that heartburn from the crash. So the the places where we're trying to give jobs back, specifically houseboats, like nobody was mm-hmm. buying houseboats in 08, 09, 2010. So they laid off 1100 skilled workers who knew, yeah. you know, how to create a hundred thousand dollar houseboat, but nobody was buying. So they had to lay off all these great workers. And so we were thinking about it. Well, how can we use literally the same exact shape? You take the same shape, it's a rectangular shape, and you put it on a foundation instead of put it on water. And, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't our idea, but we found people who had that idea and they'd already started the ball, building the momentum around building mm-hmm. the plans. And we said, hey, could we commercialize that? Yeah. And they, you know, they were just students and professors and it was for a class for them. But we were like, hey, this has real commercial potential yeah. and real impact potential. And that's what got us excited about it. And it's, it's amazing. It's like, you know, you don't have to have the idea yourself. You just have to have the energy combined with that idea. Even if it's somebody else's idea, you know, building upon that and building that with momentum and action can create something really powerful.
0: I love you said that a couple of times now, and you know, you, you don't have to create to, to do good and do well in this world. People do that. You don't even have to innovate. You have to improve, right? So you can take something that works moderately well and improve upon it, you know, and then make it apply to the need of today, which is exactly what you've done on multiple occasions, it looks like, you know, and having the guts to that you call it naively growing in in an area, right? But having the guts to, as you're climbing a staircase, you know, take a step, be willing to take the next step when you can't see the step that your foot's going to land on. It feels like you're going to land on thin air and it materializes right before it needs to, right? And you keep doing that. that. That takes some guts. I love it. So, as you have developed into holiday ventures, maybe tell the audience a little bit, you know, I think people understand in general what multifamily development is. They understand what development is, and they may even understand what, you know, being an impact developer is, but let's get into the nuts and bolts a little bit. What what type of property do you develop? How do you do it? You know, are you sourcing capital the same way everyone else is? Are there tax credits involved? Like, let's, let's get into those nuts and bolts a little bit, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, let's dive in. So, our typical deal, so we do a couple different types of deals, but I'll go into our typical structure. We do probably 80% of our deal flow is 200 plus units. And it is a public private partnership where we partner with, the state housing agency. And a lot of times we even partner with the city or county, like the local government. So we partner with the city, the state, and we're ultimately using a federal resource to help finance this. And so that's why it's the true public-private partnership. So we're taking, really, well, will back up. Our product is workforce affordable housing. We like to call it attainable housing, something that's built at an attainable price point for our community and our residents. It just has a better, better branding to it than affordable housing. So, our attainable housing communities, we specialize in typically kind of that 60 to 80% of area median income. And so, those are families making, like in Nashville, for example, where you and I are, it's like 35 to 65,000 per year for a family income. Now, there are a vast majority of jobs uh, here in Nashville that fit into that window. And yet, those families are. Like constantly and and ever growing, they're priced out of good quality housing within where their jobs are, within the communities where they currently live. They're being pushed out. So they're being pushed out 45 minutes, an hour out into like outlying counties, you know, suburban or rural locations that are 45 minutes plus commutes to their jobs and and so that puts a real stress on these families or they're they're forced to live in housing where they're paying 50 to 60% of their monthly paycheck. So if you imagine you wow. get two two paychecks a month, more than one of them goes to pay your rent. And there's a lot of families that are that are on that currently like that current situation there was a study done. There's seven million families that are paying more than fifty percent of their annual or their monthly paycheck on rent. And that was pre-pandemic. So I can only imagine that number has skyrocketed since then. And so there's a massive need for this across the country. It really boils down to a supply and demand problem where we're just not building enough housing Mm -hmm. and there's too many bottlenecks around housing, whether it's financing, politics, zoning, permitting, construction cycle, whatever it is, like there's a lot of bottlenecks which causes a supply and demand problem which causes us to basically, most developers are only building like top high-end luxury housing. So there's, there's kind of this void in the marketplace. And cities are hurting because of it. So that's where uh, cities and states have started to say, hey, we have a real problem. If we don't keep things at an attainable price point, then we're going to start losing out on growth. We're going to start losing out on our supporting economy, the backbone of our economy, the service, the retail yeah, service industry, the workforce of our economy. Like those people, if they can't afford to live in a city, then the city will become unaffordable. And then it's less desirable to live there. It's less desirable to relocate jobs. there. It just." Has this domino effect so cities are going crazy right now they're like how do we figure out affordable housing and so they look and seek out partners like us who know how to do development who know how to do affordable housing and so we work with state agencies they provide us tax credits And those tax credits typically cover about 40% of the cost of construction. And in return, we agree to maintain a lower rent level that is no more than 30% of a family's monthly paycheck. And it's in that 35 to 65,000 per year income range. And so we take those credits, They get awarded to our project by the state. Then we turn around and sell those credits. They're dollar for dollar write-off on taxes to investors Mm -hmm. or syndication groups or even banks. And so that funds roughly 40% of our project. Then we have a loan for about 50%. And then the last piece is the last 10% is usually like a tax abatement. So we'll get like a 10 to 20 year tax abatement from the local government or we'll get grants like local grants or state grants to help fill that. So it's kind of a a really unique structure. It's nothing like anything you'll ever hear in real estate investing. So our tax credit equity investors, they just want tax credits, losses, and depreciation. Hmm. They only look at this as a way to offset their their tax liability from other income that they're making outside of this business. And so they either take it themselves or they go their syndicator and they go off and they sell that to different banks. It's typically banks, insurance companies or private equity because we're dealing with large substantial amounts of credits anywhere from 15 to 25 million mm-hmm. in credits. So they don't want any cash flow. They don't want so we yeah, don't ever look at they don't want more money. <laughs> yeah. They they they're trying to use this to offset taxes. Yeah. And so they're—they don't want cash flow. They don't want—you know. There's no IRR. There's no cash-on-cash cash calculations. Mm-hmm. It's only really the main thing we're looking at. The main thing we're negotiating with our equity guys is what is the pricing they can give us per tax credit dollar. Mm-hmm. So right now the market's like 88 cents per dollar of tax credits. Mm-hmm. They will give us 88 cents in cash equity. And so. We as the developer and the GP partner, we get the the long-term cash flow and developer fee and usually long-term ownership as well, because they only want the tax benefits. So once those expire after year 10, then they pretty much went out of the deal. So it's a really interesting model where it's a great way. It's probably one of the best examples of public-private partnerships because we're using a public good and creating a public good, but using privately financed sources with syndicators and private developers like ourselves. Themselves, being able to create something that really creates impact for our residents and so that's why we like to call what we do impact investing and impact real estate uh, because you're really having impact it's recession resistant mm-hmm. you're dealing with something that we're basically building is almost as good as a brand new luxury community but we're charging about a half or you know 40 yeah. percent of the rent so you just have this inherent humongous demand especially Being growing cities like like Nashville and Charlotte and Austin, you know, cities are just hurting. Nashville needs thirty one thousand units right now, like all the affordable developers right now cannot build enough units for the demand. And so it provides great returns for our investors and great, great impact for the residents in the communities.
0: It's truly a way where everyone wins. Right. When you win, everyone wins in this yeah that is, that is amazing. And so that really probably pushes you to a certain avatar of investor, right? you're You're really looking for i'm I'm going to guess probably high income, maybe not necessarily high net worth, but high income individuals who are trying to offset whether it be w two income or some sort of business income. is that is that the typical avatar? And do you source those investors directly, or do you kind of go to a pool somewhere where they're aggregated and they find you? Yeah, good question. So
1: we have two different types of investors. We have like our pre-development capital investors. That's basically from the point we know it's a go to the point we close before we even move like a one shovel full of dirt. That's yeah. like a two to three year process. And so those pre-development investors, we typically raise two to 3 million per project. Mm-hmm. Those are paid out of the front end. It's almost like a hard money loan. And then-
0: Out of the developer our, fee, you might pay them or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah and so so that's the front end those are pre-development investors Mm -hmm. and then on the back end of the deal at construction loan closing those investors will be paid off made whole and then we'll have new investors come in those are tax credit equity investors Mm -hmm. and those are not individuals. Those are typically private equity syndication groups or uh, banks or insurance companies. It's basically, I wish we could work with individual investors, but the, the tax code changed. They originally allowed it. Tax credits were invented or made into the tax code in 86. I think it was in like 92 or 93. They made it so that individual investors who were not real estate investors couldn't really invest in these. And so it kind of Mm. killed the market for individual investors. So we sell this to larger groups and also banks are required to invest in these, part of their CRA Act, Mm. basically saying like banks can't redline, right? So federal government is trying to be intentional about this and say, hey, let's help or let's require banks to invest in every part of a city, not just the higher income areas or the areas they want to invest in. So they are actually required. So we have another built in demand for our tax credit equity investors because they actually need to buy these credits in their markets.
0: Yeah. And that CRA, that's the Community Reinvestment Act, if I'm not yep, that's translating right. that for the audience. So we've actually seen some of that money in a different form in like a yeah. a, there's a CDFI lender, Community Direct Financial Institution, where they do a similar thing. Those banks give money to that CDFI lender and they redeploy into the redevelopment projects that right, exactly. do, you know, or something like that. So that's really good to see that that money all comes back around. And I guess the only people that are losing are the tax revenue services, but in essence, they're investing back in the community. Right, that's, exactly. it's really good. That's really good. And so you mentioned that you know, it takes two or three years from inception to, I guess, lease up maybe is the back end of that to execute one of these projects. Does your team also stay on and operate the property or do you then disposition the property to another group? How does that work? Yeah. So we are
1: long-term, we're build and hold developers. Mm -hmm. So we'll asset manage. We won't property manage. We'll work with whoever's the the best, you know, boots on the ground in that local region, but we will be long-term holders of our properties. And so we can, at the end of our you have like a 15-year compliance period where you have to keep it affordable with the federal government. Usually states are adding on their own affordability period on top of that. And so we'll we'll basically keep it through that
0: period and then decide if we want to fix it up or just continue as is. So to bring it into multifamily terminology, you basically build an affordable community while it's needed, operate it and, and keep it up for 15 years. You are kind of paid on the front end for that, I'm pretty sure. And then yep. and the tax credits eventually burn off. And then you just have sitting in your hand, a nice value add asset that is probably ready for repurpose. And, and, you know, it's now obsolete compared to some of the newer tax credit properties, right? So it's something you could probably renovate and bring back up to just conventional market rate or something.
1: Yeah. Right. And you can also, you can also, do double tax credits on it. So you can basically oh, at the end of go back year, and do it again. Yeah, you can. It's okay. called like re syndicating. So you can re syndicate the credits after year 15. Usually you really won't need to until about year 20 or so, but. It gives you the opportunity to, like you said, update the property, extend Mm -hmm. the affordability
0: period, and you get paid another developer fee through that method. Do do you do any, I think I saw you did one in Kentucky recently, but y'all, have you done any of the redevelopment type projects as well, or only ground up at this point? Yeah. So we've done a couple
1: like value add type deals with an affordability component. We haven't done a re-syndication where we actually like take it through with tax credits, but we have bought acquired existing affordable communities and basically fixed them up, brought them up to true market rents,
0: but they were still within the affordable range of rents. Gotcha. Very cool, man. This is a really interesting game. It, it, it's it's a different strategy that I think I've ever seen. But I love the the community aspect of it, and it is you're right. It is so needed. I mean, as you watch, I looked at a, at a Neil Bawa chart the other day. You know, <laughs> the, the numbers guy. As you watch home values increase across this country, and and AMI is really not going up <laughs> near a yeah. rate. You're seeing people priced out of home ownership and into renting and then further priced out of the markets where their jobs are and out, you know, to where they're forced to commute, you know, long distances. So this is really a need in our country. I love that you're doing this. Well, Evan, let me ask a couple of questions of you real quick that we ask all of our guests here. So at Quattro Capital, we really like to know what your superpower is, because that is what drives each one of us to excel in our related areas. So what is your superpower as it relates to to your business?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think... Really, for me, it's getting above the clouds and figuring out what is the one to three things that's really going to push us in the right direction. We kind of think about development like you literally have to make i don't know five thousand decisions you know on a on a deal, probably at minimum. but our job and and like what you're doing in the value add spaces, our job is to figure out the one to three things, the dominoes, the biggest dominoes at the very front of the line, Mm -hmm. they're going to knock down all the other dominoes and being able to keep a really level head throughout. Because we also say in the development business that your deal dies a thousand times. (laughs) uh, You just have to make sure it lives a thousand and one. So that's so true. Like the amount of times, like the deal we're working on now, it's $60 million development. We're going to close in a few months. I've been working on it for two years. Yeah. You know, we've, I think we're about a million two into it by now. And we're taking a lot of risk and literally every month it's like something goes good. Something goes bad. Something goes good. You know, it's like two steps forward, one step back, sometimes five steps back. And, but that's just, you have to keep that even keel that level head throughout.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm laughing because I've felt that before in, in different ways. Of course, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure development and dealing with government is a lot beyond what, what we had to <laughs> deal with. But anyway, so Evan, what is your biggest failure to date and what did it teach you? Biggest failure to
1: date, I think really for me, it was not being 100% confident myself at an earlier stage in my game. I think for me, when I was first starting out Holiday Ventures, you know, you take that leap of faith as an entrepreneur and it's scary at first. And then you wonder, you're like, hey, can I really do this on my own? Can I go about this? Can't, you know, we all have those fears that like, those, yep. you know, that second voice in your head, that that evil voice. And you just have to remind yourself that those are just like little monkeys on your back and you just have to get them off and remind yourself, hey, I have done this before. Hey, I am fully confident in myself. I'm fully capable. I believe in myself. All my friends and family believe in myself. And so I think having that full belief in myself from the beginning would have, is likely my biggest failure. But I think it's also one of my biggest learning lessons too, and it's helped me be even more confident myself
0: now. I love that. And that's really the, the that's the growth mindset mantra, right? And everyone struggles with this. We all have limiting beliefs coming in. I'm, I'm again, laughing because I'm remembering mine. One thing we have to do as, as investors, as business owners, as, as, you know, doers of good in this world, you have to look back and see what you accomplished, right? Because if you look back at your one-year-old self from yeah. today, you know, you were a lot less good than you are now. And, and a year from now, you'll be twice as good as you were You know, it, it's a compounding effect. So I love that you said that. And we talked in the beginning about it, Evan, but you host one heck of a monumental podcast. Can you tell the, guy, <laughs> tell the team here where they can find that podcast?
1: I appreciate you, Chad. Uh, yes, yeah, so monumental podcast, <laughs> it is on evanholiday.com. That's probably the best place to find it. But we interview some amazing leaders that are making massive impact in the world and really shining a positive light on the world and helping a lot of people. So it's a really fun podcast and highly recommend everybody check it out. I appreciate you, Chad,
0: for bringing that up. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, at Quattro, we have four pillars or morals and ideals, whatever you want to call them. You know, first it is, it is people first, then it is property and profits. But you know what? Philanthropy is our biggest and most passionate one. Tell us what philanthropic causes you're involved in and perhaps how the audience can support if they feel so compelled.
1: Yeah, so... Probably one of the, the ones I've had the most fun with recently has been Book'em. They're a nonprofit based here in Nashville, and they actually donate quite a substantial amount of books to kids in need, need that can't afford books. And on top of that, they do reading events. So, you know, right before COVID, we actually, with our Phoenix Club group here in Nashville, which is a service group uh, that I'm a part of, and we went and basically spent a whole morning with third graders, and read multiple books to them, and then we're able to donate, you know, hundreds of books to that school and all the kids there. So that's a really great group. I highly recommend them.
0: They're doing amazing work. Fantastic. I love it. Well, Evan, this has been a incredibly insightful episode on a topic that honestly, we have not really discussed on the show at all. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for for being willing to share your expertise, your history and your heart, honestly. And if the audience were to want to reach out to you and get a hold of you, maybe to partner on something or invest or buy a tax credit, I don't know. How can they find you? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm really active on Instagram. For everybody on here that's on Instagram, it's at Evan Holiday. Holidays H-O-L-L-E-D-A-Y.
0: That'd probably be the best place. Fantastic. All right, everyone. Well, this has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. Over and out. How is your company managing your capital raising process? Syndication Pro is the number one solution to help real estate syndicators and fund managers automate fundraising, investor relations, and reporting. Syndication Pro is a solution that is trusted by hundreds of firms, large and small, with billions being managed within the platform. Here at Quattro Capital, we have seen a drastic improvement in our ability to provide better customer support to our investors, a co-sponsor module to our alliance partners when partnering on new acquisitions, ACH distributions, an sec compliance CRM, and even the ability to take soft reservations on upcoming projects. Look for the link in the show notes to try Syndication Pro risk-free for seven days. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.